0: Welcome to another episode here at the Midnight Founders Podcast. We're so excited to be with you
1: today. This is AJ Rounds from Rev Road and Jake McCarg from CB Vault. Here at the Midnight Founders Podcast, we focus on telling behind the scenes stories for what makes a successful entrepreneur. We're excited for another week. Here we go. We are so
0: excited today here at the Midnight Founders Podcast to welcome Sid Tetro. Uh, from Brandless and from all the other things you see about her online. She is everywhere and uh, it's incredible to have you in the studio. Welcome today, Sid Tetro.
2: Hey, thanks. I'm super excited to be here.
0: Yeah, this is so great. And what we love about you is you're able to bring technology and women founders together like no one's ever done in the state of Utah. Oh, thank you. So we're really excited to have you here and, and maybe speak more to the female founders in our audience. That'll be great.
2: Yes, exactly. I think they're such a critical part of our ecosystem and there's so much work to do to accelerate opportunity for them.
0: So cool. Especially on that customer service uh, side, you know, the customer experience and the technology side. So many intersections there. That's so. right.
2: That's right. Well, and women create so many businesses and then this acceleration of them into things that you, like you were thinking about all the time and into those funding ecosystems and into the opportunity, it's just a place of a really important focus right now.
0: So cool. Well, um, Jake and I, are uh, we're here, and we're excited to hear your story. Um, give us a quick, what we start out with in the podcast is a 30-second pitch on what you're doing currently, which is CEO of Brandless. Yes. One of the many things, but let's focus on that one first. <laughs> That's yeah. right.
2: So first of all, Brandless is unapologetically a brand. Okay. And at the core of the brand, we think about how you brand less and live more. Hmm. And for what for us, what that means is how do you bring together mission-driven, like-minded companies and pull them into the platform to really accelerate the impact that we can have for people as we help them take better care of themselves, their families, and the planet. And for us, that's a combination of consumer products in those spaces that help people live more, in addition to technology that helps that scale and reach customers.
0: Cool, great. Um, so how long have you been in that position, Sid? You've been doing this for a, a minute, right?
2: For a little bit, yep. So a private equity firm, Clark Capital um, acquired- we love
0: James Clark, by the way. Shout out to James Clark. <laughs> that's
2: right, shout out to James Clark. Um, they, Clark Capital acquired that in 2020, restructured it and moved it from San Francisco here to Silicon Slopes. And as they did that restructure, I came in to run it for them. So I've been there just over two years. And during the course of that time, we've done amazing things. I mean, we did a raise where we raised about 118 million to really fuel our strategy to find these mission driven like minded brands and then we've created this really powerful organic growth engine that allows us to become accessible to customers everywhere whether they're in direct to consumer influencer channels retail channels or even Amazon I and mean, it's been super fun we did six acquisitions in the last 12 months pulled those into the platform and we our performance has been outstanding in the strategy that we've decided to apply across all of those and it's been really really fun I
1: love that she just breezed right past, like, we raised $118 million, move on to something
0: else. <laughs> all these acquisitions, no big deal. All in a day's
1: work. Like, right? raising $118 million, I, I think I read somewhere that it's the most ever in Silicon Slopes by a female-run company. Is that true? That is true. That's amazing. Congratulations yeah. on that.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you. And my counter to that is, I wish that weren't true. Like I wish The there most were, ever so far. That's and right, you, exactly. And so now my, my challenge to everyone is to just break that yeah, barrier. You, you'll right? be like happy raise more.
0: And you're leading that charge.
2: That's right. And I want to help all of those other women entrepreneurs and founders have that opportunity because that's how we accelerate what they can do for the community and for their families and mm-hmm. for the ecosystem.
1: So I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but is that kind of what the mission of the Women Tech Council is?
2: Yes, yeah, so we created the Women Tech Council almost 14 years ago now. Has it been that long? It's been that long. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Hmm. And what I love about the community that I wouldn't have known when we were creating it is how powerful it would have become for me in this network that I never would have known otherwise. All of these amazing women in technology to build. And so we really created the community because when you look at stats in tech, so I come out of tech, right? Did my undergrad in computer science. That's really where I've built my career and expanded it from. Was so one of three women in my graduating computer science class. Where, where was that? Um, I did my degree at BYU. Okay, awesome, cool. So did computer science. There's no women in those. I did minor in dance. It has the opposite. Ecosystem. <laughs> there was more women. You're so in balance. you're balanced, <laughs> so right? I was balanced. You gotta have the balance in my program. And then when you get into tech, you realize that only five percent of executive leadership are women, mm-hmm. and only twenty-three percent of the tech ecosystem are women. And it's a field where we pay 139% of you know standards, so there's an opportunity for people to create more money, which helps support families, but there's these just natural barriers. And so when we created the Women Tech Council, we were really focused on how do we increase the number of women in tech, and we really focused on the economic impact of women in technology. Since then, we've created programs that go from high school to the boardroom, because in each stage of that talent pipeline, there's different challenges that have pre- prevented women from having... And growing those numbers, yeah. like we need more than five percent in the, those executive positions. We need more women on boards. That's how you really change the dynamics. And then you look at the young women who are trying to go into career. Ninety percent of them tell us they don't choose tech fields because they know no women and they they have no role models and they have no mentors and they see no one in those positions. And the moment we introduce them, they're like, oh, "I'm going to go pursue that." Their career. eyes open. Right? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Which is really, which is really cool. So for me. It is definitely, like, how do you leave the world better than when you were building your company? And how do you rally and activate thousands of people to join you on a mission in order to create that change?
1: So what are the numbers today as opposed to what they were when you were going to school? Are they much higher than they were? They're lower.
2: So there are fewer women in core computer science.
1: Wow. Why, Why is that?
2: Well... For it really reasons. is tied to role models and mentors. Yeah, wow,
1: fascinating. So you think?
2: Just think about that. There's very few computer science professors that are female. Now, tech has expanded more. You've got information systems. You've got data sciences, which are ac- actually attracting a more female demographic. We are we're in the midst of putting an initiative in, p- in place called the Bold Way Forward, hmm. which is intent is to actually get the tech field to fifty fifty by twenty thirty. That's a huge goal. Yeah.
1: And, and it's it requires, up that's right, we got it only a couple of years, I'm clapping right now. so let's yeah. go for it.
2: Um, but I think it requires that kind of big thinking to disrupt a market so significantly that 50% of our workforce is women. There's no reason 50% shouldn't be in tech. Yeah. And there's plenty of jobs for everyone. It's not like it trades off. It's just that the pie is so big and the skill sets are so needed that we just have to encourage people to find those fields and enter them.
0: So, is one of the solutions, Sid, for this to really get them started younger to see that vision and to help them really understand this is where I could go with this for is sure. That, is that what
2: so, it is? I'll just give you my anecdotes because we one of our programs is called She Tech. It mm-hmm. focuses on ninth through twelfth grade. Yeah. So, there's a lot of we teach so much tech in schools. All of our kids learn to do Scratch programming. They've all built websites from their elementary schools into their junior high. So, it's not a c- curriculum component. There's lots of curriculum that we have, but what happens is when they go to make career decisions, they're looking at those ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grades. They're like, okay, well, what am I gonna be? They still make decisions just the the same way everyone did 30 years ago, and they do it because it's what's familiar. They don't have women in their ecosystem who are like, oh, I'm running this tech company, and I'm doing those things. And I will tell you, the moment they meet those women, it changes. So we typically have like 3,000 high school girls at SheTech Explorer Day. Last year I was walking down the aisle and a girl stops me and she was teaching a class and she's like, I said I'm at UVU and I just have to tell you this story. Six years ago, I was sitting in this audience, I came to SheTech with my school and there was a woman on stage and she was an aerospace engineer. And she told her story about who she had worked for in her degree. And I looked at her and I said, you know what, I could be her, I can do that. And then she was graduating with her civil engineering degree last year. And those stories are repeated time and time again where they get access they meet someone they see someone and they're like oh you're right text and everything she has my same passion i can go embrace that and then they finally see someone who broke those barriers and they translate it for themselves until they translate it for themselves they do not pursue the careers
1: yeah it's about removing the barriers and breaking down anything that will stop them from That's right. you know Almost progressing in their on mind their own. too yeah.
2: it's mostly it's mostly yeah. that mental thing you have to really see what you believe that you can become and that's why you always need trailblazers in everything. You need them in industries. You need them as you build companies. You need them when you're trying to disrupt what the status quo is. You need people who are just willing to be out in front and say, you're right, someone else did that. I'll just follow them, and they'll champion me along the way.
0: So how did you sit? I mean, this has probably been, you're a trailblazer in this space, obviously, um, very much so. How did you break through those barriers yourself and um, not fill this imposter syndrome and kind of like a lone wolf kind of feeling in all these boardrooms and everything, all these years, how have you done that? How have you overcome that?
2: So I know no one who along the journey hasn't felt imposter syndrome (laughs) at some point, right? At some point, (laughs) or felt like that lone wolf, because you find yourself in situations where sometimes you do second guess yourself Mm -hmm. like, okay, actually, I've never been in this room before. I've never closed this type of deal before. Um, do you know what? There's probably someone else Like some of one of my other counterparts, they've probably been in this boardroom. They've probably closed the deal before. What are the things that I don't know that I should know in order to be qualified to be here? I think most of taking your career and trying to build success is showing up and going for it Mm. and just stepping into the space even when it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's that mental pep talk that you need before you step somewhere.
0: Act as if right
2: Exactly and you just have to believe that you can own it despite all the flaws that you have or despite the the things that we know that we're not good at. Mm-hmm. I reflected on this often you're asking about raising the 118 million. Do you know what I've never raised 118 million dollars before? Like, that wasn't the thing that I had previously accomplished. And oftentimes, I'll compare myself to my male counterparts. I'm like, just crushing it. They're raising all this capital. They're doing such an amazing job. Their networks are so different from mine, right? The ecosystems, like, love them and follow them around, and they fund them consistently. And that that wasn't me. I've raised capital before, but not at that level. And even those things creep in, right? Despite all the things that I've done, you're sitting there, and you're like, I don't know. Are there other people who could have done it better? What is you know, answered all those questions differently or taken a different path. And so because those thoughts, I think for everyone, generally exist, I think probably for female founders more so because you find yourself in the minority. But at the end of the day, everything is about how you show up. And you're just willingness to lean in and say, despite all the things that I'm worried about, despite the things that I might not know, I'm going to step in, I'm going to do my very best, I'm going to activate everything around me, and I'm going to believe that I can do it.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting because if you think about like 10 years ago, I had never heard the word imposter syndrome before. And it's commonplace now, like everybody's heard it and and everybody's talking about it. And I think it's powerful to hear it from people that are very successful, that it's still there. Like, you know, it's not something that just goes away because you, you know, had a success or you raised 118 million. I'm sure there's still days that you deal with it and... So, and I think it's it's powerful for people that are just getting started to realize that that's that's just something that they they have to learn to like push through and like you said, lean in. I really like that.
2: Yeah, I think that's really true. As you were talking, it was making me think. You know, my career path hasn't been this straight line. You know, I did computer sciences in undergrad. I didn't take a developer path. I really pro- chose a product path, but that took me in lots of different places. Starting companies, spending six years at Disney, you know, building businesses there and then um, coming in to Brandless. But one of the things that I approached my career as was there's I wanted to know lots of disciplines. And so I've often found myself stepping into a space that I didn't know or I didn't have natural training for. You know, when I stepped into the Brandless and we decided to go after acquiring to, for, as part of our growth strategy in addition to the organic growth, well, I've done some stuff in venture, I hadn't led a big acquisition arm. Like I hadn't gone about and said my whole career is an M&A. Actually, ironically today, every time um, we go do intros as we're like talking to companies, half the people on my team, they're awesome because they all um, came from like Wall Street, right? They're Wall Street, they're M&A guys. And I'm always the one who's like, so I come from tech, right? And my pathway here is different <laughs> from the people who spent some time at Goldman. I taught at Goldman, but I have not, you know, taken what that looks like. And so I think it also, for me, I've, many times as I've stepped into learning something new, just that I don't know anything about this. When I very first started, it, I knew I wanted to go learn how to raise capital. So almost a decade ago, I said to the CEO that I was working for, can I just go be part of the fundraising team for this round that we're going to go do? Because I wanted to learn everything about it. And so I've repeatedly done that in my career, which I think softens the syndrome, because I know I'm most likely going to be in a space I've never tackled before. But just the learning part of me wants to do it. And I think you just have to be open to that. And sometimes you fell along the way, and that's okay, too.
0: So it's almost like on purpose, you're diversifying on purpose. and and if I understood this right, you you're actually very open about, hey, this is my first time doing it. Not sure exactly how this is gonna go, but let's let's do it. Let's dive in. I'm
2: very much that way. Early in my career.
0: And I love that.
2: This like feedback loop thing became mm-hmm. really core to who I am. Part of it came from my product validation training I'm like mm-hmm. how do you actually build great products and take them to market? But my very first job, when I came out of my graduate degree. So I came out of my MBA, and I stepped into a pretty senior product management role, a really large company. And I remember my VP coming to me, and he was like, after some meetings, and he's like, Sid, you have to stop talking. It's like, you're talking too much in all the meetings. And it was this- Harsh. Harsh <laughs> feedback, right? And it's those moments where you're well, like-
0: constructive, right?
2: You're like, either you're totally wrong, and yeah. I'm totally right, yeah. and I'll change, or you know, wh- what's the circumstance? And for me, that became this pivotal moment of, you're right, Like, I'm willing to take feedback, I'm willing to make changes in the way that I approach, and then I'm willing to move forward. And that for me became a really fundamental component. Great, P- please give me feedback. I'm the first person to walk out of a pitch and say, okay, what should we have done better? Do you think I did that right? Do you think we read this right? Should we do it differently the next time? What happens um, when we do this? How would we answer that? Oh, I totally think we messed that up. We sh- This was really good. and. I expect people to give me feedback and then I expect to be able to give people feedback. That's been really beneficial for me in building my career because I don't think I'm perfect in every meeting. And I'd much rather someone say, you know, Sid, I think you should have answered it differently or maybe we should consider this or maybe this would be a better approach because it makes me better as a leader and then it usually makes a better outcome the next time.
0: I love that you said that. Um, we've had a lot of interactions with you at Rev Road and, and in different events and things and I've actually seen you do that. Um specifically. Um, and uh, I, I think that's very, it's a sign of a great leader, right? So my question to you then would be, what do you do with someone that doesn't take feedback well? And how do you coach them up to take feedback better? Because that's a big component, right?
2: It's a big component. And a lot of people think taking feedback or asking for it means you're weak mm. and that you're not good enough to be in that seat to your imposter yeah. syndrome, question, syndrome question. I think the way I take it is you lead by example. Hmm. I walk out of the room. I, I did it with one, one of my other executives and I were on a call last week. And we walked out of the room and I turned to him. I'm like, hey, how do you think I did in that meeting? And he was kind of surprised because he come, came from an environment where his previous CEO would never have said that. Hmm. And But the more that you do that and the more you're open to it and people understand that as a leader you expect that, I believe the way they think about it changes
0: love that. I do. Sid, where where do you feel like you're looking back, you know, way back when where 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 did this entrepreneur bug start? I mean, you're very entrepreneurial and that had to have start that started somewhere. Where where do you think that came from?
2: This is a question I ask myself all the time <laughs> because I, you know, I graduated and came through that end of an era where entrepreneurship wasn't quite the in thing yet. Mm-hmm. Because I came out of college, It was there was still, even from the recruiting perspective at BYU where I went to school, still very much, oh, you might end up going into Ford's like 15-year program and moving all over the country and, and working in one job for the rest of your life. And it's really changed. In the last 15 or so years, the pendulum has swung. No one's living in a job that long. And when you find people, you're like, really, you've been there for 30 years? That's just not this world we live in. So I didn't come out of that from my foundation. Sometimes I wonder if I had had that insight, how that would have directed my career path, because it didn't in the very early stages. There is this one pivotal moment for me. So there were probably two. I made a decision to switch from a really large company into startup, because all my friends at the really large company were jumping into startup land. And so I decided that I should just go do that. And so I did. I totally jumped into Startup. Everybody land. else is doing it, right? That's right. I know, exactly. Must have had FOMO <laughs> or something. And so love it. I love I just jumped into that because you could see the barriers at the corporate ladder. Right? You could see, oh, I'm just going to plug away at this. So I jumped politics into
0: Politics and challenges. Exactly.
2: You know, yeah. And there's lots of great things about big companies, yeah. but it's a different mindset. Mm-hmm. So I jumped over to Startup. And that really started to open my eyes into the acceleration I could have on Career Path, the impact that I could make in a company. And then over the course of that, I started also kind of investing in myself. I really believe we are the, we're the drivers of our career. It has nothing to do with the company that you're in. And you have to architect and be intentional about where you're headed. So I started to have, like see that path, which started me also thinking about what are the things I wanna spend my time on, on the side. And so then I started venturing into basically all of these kind of side hustles that were either community driven or revenue driven. And I did a whole series of them over the course of like three to four years and while, while I was still doing a great corporate job. But you start like seeing all of that opportunity and you see the economic opportunities for those and where your skills can apply. And then there became this one moment where I was leaving a company. I was trying to decide what I should do next. Now, this has become my continuous theme since then. I don't know. What am I supposed to do next? So I'll figure out that next thing. But at this one particular moment, I made the decision to leave what I would have considered previously, being in a company with the security of those, those, to really owning where I wanted my future to go. It was actually at the moment that I jumped over to work for Disney. When I went to work for Disney, it was a very entrepreneurial job. They'd never hired anyone that looked like me. And my job offer was something like, hey, Sid, we have this amazing Disney research arm at Imagineering, We have all these brilliant tech people who are solving technology challenges the Disney company will face in the next decade, but we need to make businesses out of them. And so can you bring your blend of tech and entrepreneurial skills into the ecosystem and help us solve this? Now, here's the deal.
0: Perfect blend. Perfect blend. It was like
2: perfect job opportunity. Yes. The only caveats are, Sid, we've never done this before. We've never hired anyone into this job. We don't know if it's a month job or it's a six-month <laughs> job or like a year job, but it could be really cool and it's you should totally do it. It's until it's not, right? Yeah, exactly. That was like the offer that I got on the call. And that was the one moment. I only thought for five seconds and I totally said yes. But that's the moment that changed my career trajectory because I took the risk to jump in. Now, today... I always encourage young entrepreneurs to totally take the risk earlier than I did because their risk profiles are different. They don't have families, they don't have mortgages, they don't have obligations that I have today. And they have great ideas and they have great ambition. And if they fail, it's just a great learning experience for them. But I didn't choose that early on and I had to choose it later. And I had to find this moment where my mind shift completely happened. And since that day forward, the way that I think about how I develop my career is very much what am I supposed to learn? Where am I supposed to go? Where do I think the opportunity cost of where I spend my time produces things that are important to me?
1: Yeah, that's fascinating. I really like that approach. And it is interesting to, to hear how, how that has shifted over time um, and how you have to balance what is going on in your life with those competing priorities, you know, with the the risk and and just all of the things some but one person said you you pick up two ends of the stick at the same time, right? You can't yeah. you don't get the good and not the bad. You don't take the risk without the reward. So um, <clears throat> okay, so I was reading on LinkedIn today uh, in you know preparation for for interviewing you and uh, I saw this list of like a hundred awards. 2022 was yeah. a really good year. Yeah. And I, it just got me thinking about like all of the like accommodations or awards or, or things that you've um, gotten over your career. Is there one that stands out that was more meaningful than the others?
2: Oh, That's a great question. I tend to like not think too deeply about them. Right. Um, Because also so much of my platform has also been recognizing other people because I know the acceleration it can give when you shine a lens on great things people are doing. The Women Tech Awards has shown a light on like 300 individual women. Like that's really powerful for me. A couple of years ago, I didn't know it, but the Women Tech Council gave me a legacy award because of the impact on that community. And I think of anything, when I think about the legacies that we all leave, I think the things that are most important to me isn't necessarily the recognition, but the fact that I helped a lot of other people along the way. And so when you the, the awards that are most meaningful to me are the ones that recognize that I'm spending some of my time to help other people and to make maybe their journeys faster or more meaningful for them or to accelerate opportunity. My favorite metric from our Women Tech Awards is All the women who get recognized, like 90% of them, within six months, have a new career opportunity. And what that tells you is when you highlight them and when you show how amazing they are, that great things happen for them. And so if we can do more of that for each other, if we can be better champions for each other and better cheerleaders, the dynamics of the world just become better because we're doing things that help other people. For me, those are the things that really drive me. It even drives my leadership style. I'm always thinking about, hey, when I leave this company and I go to another company, would those people want to work for me again? If the answer is no, I did a really bad job. And not everyone's going to love me. I totally get that, right? And there'll be people along the way where that's not true. Sure. But was I good enough leader that I saw their potential, I saw their talent, I tried to help them navigate, I gave them constructive feedback, I linked into opportunities that helped them in their life journey? Because if I did that, then the next company I start or the next thing that I go to, they would want to participate with me.
1: Yeah, we've commented on that on, you know, multiple, multiple interviews that we've had. Yeah, it's true. Where you can see that um, when a founder has started multiple companies or they've been a part of multiple companies and they they move from one to another and their team moves with them. Yeah. Like it just goes to show, you know, who the leader is and, and how important that like yeah that environment that you create is. Um, for everyone to grow together. Like that's, that's just right. so critical.
2: Well, and can I make just one other insight that I think is really important? Because that's true, right? When you find people you work well together and you can take that, you absolutely want that. The The risk that we currently have is that those networks, there's not enough women in them who lead them and pull them along. Yeah. And so if you think about how do you change numbers, the fact that those networks are so powerful in creating trust and opportunity that's amazing, but if you, don't have, if you only have 5% women in those ecosystems, then their networks that are diverse and different aren't moving together fast enough mm. and they're not getting access to the same amount of acceleration because those teams move together. Mm. So I think that's I our collectively that. greatest challenge is yeah. how do you switch the dynamics of those so that those networks that do stay together look different so that more people are included.
0: I love that. I do. I do. I think that's a fantastic piece of advice. Sid, I, I've always wondered this about you. You're so good at garnering, you're such a great ambassador for your, for your companies and for the organizations you founded and that you're growing and increasing. Um, and a lot of that recognition goes to you, but you're so good at spreading out that recognition to so many other people and so many other uh, initiatives, right? How do you do that in a, such a, an effective manner? Can you help other entrepreneurs know kind of how that works and how to do that better?
2: I think that's a really great question. And I've thought a lot about it over the last couple of years. How do you programmatically make more people do that? Yeah, So i kind of share a story with you that led it to even how I think today. Because some days I wake up and I'm like, oh, I didn't do as good a job. Like I'm supposed to go oh, know, good. help someone else At along least we know someone way. else does
0: that to you. <laughs> I'm
2: like, oh, I should be so much better. Um, so I have a good friend. She's an Olympic medalist. She won two of her medals, um, one of them at Deer Valley. Her name's Shannon Barkey Happy. Oh, and we met a number of years ago in, in the Goldman Sachs program that I was teaching. And I was talking to her a couple of years ago. And she was talking about her journey to becoming an Olympian. And she said, along the way, when she was doing her workouts, she what, was, what
0: was her sport? By the way, um,
2: she's moguls.
0: Oh, fantastic! She
2: she won one of her medals on the Deer Valley slope. Oh, fantastic! And then she was, she went to the Olympics two times. She's awesome. pink she's cool. care She's my favorite yeah. person. Um, and she was telling me about her training regimen, and she said, years ago, I decided that I would just add one more squat or one more push up, just one more thing to my workouts. It might be really painful in the moment, but I was just gonna do one more. It's not really that big of a deal. It's just one more thing. But over the course of time, it made her strong and it really helped her in her path. So we, when I was listening to that, she thought this is the perfect metaphor to really what our job is in helping amplify other people. So it became this idea of the one more this idea that what happens if all we do in our day-to-day job in really easy ways is to think about the, the one more opportunity, the one more thing we could do to help someone else in their journey? And they can be really easy. Think of all the people who contact you that you never have time to get back to, or meetings they ask you to sit in, or boards they ask you to go to. What happens if we just give that to one other person instead of just dismissing it and saying, hey, this person from my team can step in? What happens if you invite one more person who's maybe a little more junior into a boardroom to hear a meeting? They gain an entirely different perspective. What happens when you invite one more person to sit at the table with you at a networking event in a network of people they would never know? Do you know what? It changes their career. It took nothing for you to do that. You already had the seat. You already had the opportunity. Maybe you don't even have the time. But it took the thought that you were willing to take something that someone asked you to do that you don't have bandwidth for or that you're going to and just asking someone else to come along. And all of a sudden, the floodgates open for them on who they meet and what that can be. And so that principle of one more has become something that I try to remember really consistently, where I think about it. I'm like, oh, you're right. I didn't do the one more thing. I should be so good, or I'm, you know, I one get more. so busy. Oh, I love that. And I'm that. like, oh, yeah, Sid, you were supposed to do the one more. Pause, go back, respond to that email, and say, I'm so sorry, I can't do it. But I have this amazing person That you should do or i'm going to pick up one more seat and i'm going to just make one more phone call and i make sure that person shows up at the event actually had and this has now become really intentional this happened last week i got an opportunity to go do something in new york and naturally i would have taken it but i couldn't it just was not going to work in my schedule so i called someone that i worked with and i'm like will you go take this i think it would be an amazing opportunity for you you should go do this i'll just tell them you're coming for me and she went and for her it was the very best thing that she could have done. And it opens all these doors and it creates a different opportunity for her. And she's forever grateful. And it was something that I just was never going to be able to go show up for. But for her, it made an impactful difference. And those are the things that we can do to change what it means to help other people.
0: And that wow. builds that loyalty and just that great um, you know, camaraderie between you and her. That's right.
1: I love that. One yeah. more. <clears throat> I had a... So I, I spent the last decade as the city manager for vineyard mm-hmm. and, um, I had a finance director that was, uh, a woman and she, she, uh, I had hired her as a treasurer and she kind of, we, we worked her way up in the organization and she actually called me out on this issue oh, really? where she was like, Hey, I want more opportunities to do things like that. And it opened my eyes to the fact that I was just, I felt like I was doing, uh, I was doing a good job by taking everything that I could. And I wasn't giving any of those like responsibilities to her to help her grow. And so uh, she did a really good job of like helping open my eyes to that issue where it's like, hey, they have things that they could do that would help them grow and help their career yeah. and help even just giving them more self-confidence on their skills because she had the right. skills to do it. I just felt like I was doing her a disservice by making her do some things that were on my plate. So she she definitely helped open my eyes to that issue. So I think that's really, really good advice. One yeah, more. And kudos
2: to her right for yeah. stepping into that. I think a lot of times we think it's the responsibility of other people to change our trajectory. And I think there's a, a mindset shift you have to have to say, I own my trajectory, and I'm also willing to be proactive. I'm willing to come to you and say, hey, I'd really like these five other things. Yeah, she Please did
1: really give good at that. Shout out to Mariah Hill.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally shout out to Mariah. Way to go,
1: Mariah. Yeah, yeah, she was incredible.
0: Well, um, one thing we we typically ask on this podcast um, is we're, we're all entrepreneurs. We've gone through some really crazy things, stories that, you know, wouldn't have people laughing or crying, whatever, right? what What is the story in your career said that has stuck out to you that is the most – outlandish, unbelievable thing you can't believe that happened to you. You're just like, whoa, really? This just happened? We love to hear those kind of okay. stories. Okay,
2: so there's probably, I'll give you two.
0: Okay, sweet.
2: And I, because I had this opportunity to work on a really big stage like Disney, I had like crazy things that I'll never have an opportunity to do yeah. before. So some of my favorite highlights, um, when I started working at Disney, we did a project and I guess now I'm going to have to tell you like five of them, but um, <laughs> I got to build the carbon freezing chamber from Star Wars on a stage at Hollywood Studios and create an entire experience for people to be frozen in carbonite like Han Solo wow. from like end to end. And it was amazing. amazing. Yeah. Like, I didn't know anything about fog machines before that, but I got everything about. Now you got one at home, machines. and you like practice all the time. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh yeah, we need like that fog going here, and these sound effects, and these <laughs> oh, lights, I love and it. like the set design expertise at Disney, and there was a whole tech experience around it, but everything from the marketing side. And at the time, my kids were young and they became the models like on all the posters throughout the entire park for this experience. And it was pretty cool. Wow! I'll never get a chance to do that again in my career. That
0: is awesome. And Disney
2: gave me lots of cool things like that. Um, Disney calls the graveyard shift the third shift because that makes more sense and it's nicer. And the third shift is at night. And when we we filmed a bunch of stuff in the parks and walking through the parks when no one is there at midnight and seeing like Cinderella's castle, it's very Mm -hmm. magical. So I got to do lots of cool things like that. That's cool. A million other ones. And when I left Disney, I still stayed in the content space. So I ended up with a deal with Marvel and Star Wars, Major League Baseball, the NFL, you name a brand. We partnered with them. We could make you Iron Man. Hasbro built a toy line. And so there's about a thousand interesting things in those. But some of my favorite highlights I've um, included, we actually built an experience for the Super Bowl. So we went to the Super Bowl. You could become a player from your favorite team. Cool. It was amazing Wow! to be at the Super Bowl. We also did all the World Series wow. around the country. Uh, we even had an installing in Yankee Stadium. So the stage that was there, I'll probably never get the ability to Incredible do like at 3D yeah. plus me, but it was super fun. Like wow. every one of your favorite brands we probably partnered with, and we had some experience at some stage for those.
0: And you were there? Five years, right? So I
2: was at Disney for six. Six. And then when I left Disney, the startup I did, 3D Plus Me, that we venture-backed was a 3D personalization platform. And we did that for about four years until we sold it. That company had all the content. So that's where we did Marvel, Star Wars. We did NFL, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, Assassin's Creed, Halo, Disney Stores, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, you name a property, we had a partnership with them. That's fun. So that stage was super fun. That's fun. Yeah,
0: right. and that would be hard to top. I don't know. It's going to be hard to top that
1: one on any other yeah. podcast <laughs> episodes. The, the Super Bowl and the World Series. I'm super jealous of the World Series. I've always wanted to go to a World Series game.
2: It was. Well, and the cool thing is when <clears> you <throat> take an experience there, you are all behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. And so when we had to staff some of the experience, I invited some of my family to go because I thought it would be a really cool experience. And they all got to walk on the fields.
1: Oh, my God.
2: See that's so cool, right? Like that who is else the gets to do that? That is the moment. That's right. Or moment, the Yankee right. Stadium when we like, did our install. Yeah. It's all behind the scenes. Oh. So you get to go backstage. Like you just can't repeat that. I'll never get to do it again.
1: Yeah.
0: Hopefully, you got pictures.
2: Oh I yeah. Remember yeah. it okay. exactly. I got a good. lot of photos good. from that. <laughs> good. 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 But from the time I was
1: like three and I could hold a baseball until I realized that that dream was gonna die. My, I was going to be a professional baseball player. <laughs> so, the World Series is always The World Series yeah. is
2: fabulous and we used to do all the All-Star games. So uh, the All-Star games have Fan Fun. Fest before them. So we did all of Fan Fest. Oh. Anyway, it's that was a really cool.
1: Yeah, that's fast
2: experience. So that's my those are my favorite experiences. I love it.
1: Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> okay, so you've shared uh, you've shared a ton of advice already. Um but we usually ask this near the end of the episode if if You know, our listeners are a lot of kind of early stage founders, um, people that are involved in startups, kind of early on in their career, in the trenches. Is there anything that you know now that you wish you would have known earlier in your career?
2: There's like a million things. But I will say the, I think my advice to young founders, kind of coined this under the term art of the possible, is to really not be the one who shuts your own doors or who put your own limits in place. Just believe anything is possible and then play the, the mind game of what is the art of the possible? We're in this situation. What could possibly come out of that and then make that come true? Can I give you one quick story? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, like, we're so on a t- podcast. T- this stories. is story time. Oh, I love um, it. When I was, so when we were building 3D Plus Me, the 3D printing company, we had done an amazing deal with a really large retailer, had taken us six months, and we were launching the toy lines that Hasbro had created for Star Wars and Marvel. And we had these experiences that we were launching into this retailer. Spent all this time doing that, and I needed a partner, I had a partner who was providing a technical component for these installs. And a Friday night, two weeks before the first install, they called me and they're like, "Hey, said, we're not gonna hit the timeline, we have to back out. And I had just signed this massive deal like two weeks before it had taken us forever to do. I remember walking into the office the next Monday morning, I looked at the team and I'm like, here's the deal. I don't even know if we can solve this problem. It's so big, but everyone, can we just switch our minds and say, what are all the things that could possibly solve this problem? And let's write every one of those on the whiteboard. So we wrote down 20 ideas and there are all sorts of crazy ideas as big as you could imagine, as crazy as you could possibly think, but that could solve the problem. Put them all on the whiteboard and we started taking them down. At the end of the day, we ended up missing our install date by one day. And it took 150 family members and every person you could possibly imagine. <laughs> that third shift all the way That's through. Right. It was like the they seventh had a eighth ninth shift. shift. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. right. We're like, everyone come. Oh yeah, this truck is going to California. Go. Let's like, have you heard everything. of the fifth
1: shift? We have a <laughs> right. fifth shift. That's yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. We provide pizza. That's kind of how it was on the conversation side. But that mindset of Insurmountable problems often face you as an entrepreneur. I often say there's a crisis every day. There's almost a, there's not a day when you're building a company that doesn't feel some significantly heavy thing that is happening. That is true. And then it becomes all about your mindset. It becomes all about how you as a person can handle the amount of things that are coming at you. And it comes down to your life philosophy and how you decide to treat those people, how you decide to handle the problems. And if you can step into a space where you believe anything's possible and there's always a solution, even if it's not the exact outcome. I promise you, what we ended up installing was not what I first thought we were going to, (laughs) but we met the expectations. We delivered an experience, and by saying yes in that moment, it allowed us to continue to build. If I had thrown my hands up, if I had walked in and said, do you know what? We're in such big trouble. There's no options. I'm sorry, team. We're shutting down. The opportunity would never have come back. We had a window of time. When you build a business, There are windows of time where if you don't take advantage of them, someone else will. And that becomes the thing that you have to figure out what you're willing to do in those moments and how you're willing to rally the people behind you, around you.
0: And I love that you shared that story. The part that really grabbed me was you were willing to come into your team and say, hey, I don't know. I don't have the answer, but together, I bet we can come up with something, even if it's completely different than what we think. Let's do it. We can make this happen. That's right. It's a great leadership principle. Love that. And
2: then that led to many nights sleeping on the floor of large retailers. Midnight founder. <laughs> midnight founder moments, we it's call it. Like, it was truly midnight founder yes. moments. Yes, like, on this. I, I think
1: Zach, Zach's episode is the one that he says, the front yard may look pretty, but the backyard's always on fire. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> that
2: is a very good quote. Yeah. <laughs> very
1: cool.
0: Well, Thid, where can others find more about what you're doing and more about Brandless and just be part of the journey? Exactly.
2: We? Well, there's brandless.com. Okay. We also have a great Instagram at Brandless Life um, mm-hmm. on Instagram and all of the other socials. And you can always find me at Sid Tetro, C-Y-D. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no other Sid Tetros out there. So if you just search, you're, you'll you find my handle Sid Tetro. in LinkedIn or any of that Twitter or social.
0: Fantastic. Well, the last question we like to end with is, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about today or discuss that we didn't bring out in the podcast?
2: You know, the only other thing I would say is oftentimes it feels really lonely at the top when you're building a company and it feels like no one's cheering you on or like those days when the feel the hardest i think you just have to remember that there are always people cheering you on and you have to surround yourself with people who really believe in you and if you ever find yourself in a situation where people don't believe in you you should find other people Hmm. because you need people who are championing you and you should be a champion for everyone else around you because that's what you need as you build companies
0: thank you great words of wisdom today
1: um, this was awesome. Yeah, we, so I appreciated much.
0: this time. Yeah, and um, I'm sure, we get a lot of comments on on this episode specifically, so we'll share some of those as they come through.
2: Yeah, I'd love that. Thanks for having me. Yeah,
0: this is great. Okay, take care.
1: The Midnight Founders Podcast is a podcast about entrepreneurship that is hosted by CB Vault and Rev Road. CB Vault is the entrepreneur arm of Central Bank. And RevRoad is a venture services firm where companies come to grow. Thanks for listening to us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts.
0: This is AJ and Jake signing out.